1: What is going on, everybody? Welcome to Striking Gold, your 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. My name is Rob Lauder. I cover the 49ers for all of you fine folks. And how the hell is everybody? Thought I was mad, didn't you? Hey, little random factoid. This is episode 222. So what we're going to do is we're going to dedicate this episode of Striking Gold to the two-time. Back to back, 1993, 1994 blockbuster video game champion and true video game superstar in the online gaming community. Six foot 37 inch vertical leap, and a huge 49ers fan. Doctor disrespect. It, it two twenty two. The two time. I mean it only it only seemed right. So this episode is officially in the record books, going to go down as a doctor disrespect episode. The man who watched the 49ers beat the Cowboys in the playoffs from right behind the 49ers bench. Just an absolute legend. Absolute legend. As you can see, I'm in a good mood. We're rolling. We're in a good mood. It's summer break. Football's back in session. Now it is in 105 degree heat. Y'all Central Valley folks know what I'm talking about. It has been hot as hell over here. I complain about it every year like I don't know it's coming. It's ridiculous. It's the most repetitive. It's like the definition of insanity. It's like I I approach every Fresno and, excuse me, every summer in Fresno, California, like something's going to change. And bam, smacked in the face with 105 degree heat again. But it is what it is. Makes me a stronger person. Okay. But the heat sucks, but it's always good to get out there, coach the kids, start laughing. It's probably my favorite part about coaching middle school football. It's just like the kids are hilarious. Like they're just, they say the funniest, dumbest stuff in the best way. And I just can't get enough of it. They are hilarious and kind of, you know, they bring the kid out of me. They keep me young and, and I enjoy it. I really do enjoy it. I do it for free. Don't tell them that. But, and, and again, it's like, despite the fact that it's just so damn hot and all of our practices are in the hottest part of the day, I'm still out there. And it ain't because I'm like selfless or nothing it's just because i I, I just i love it it's a good time it's getting to be around the game more it's getting to kind of impact these players at a kind of a really important stage of their life and i just love it it's a great time it's a great time middle school football high school football it's just a lot of memories in, in that little pivotal area of time and i just like being a part of it it's cool fourth of july is right around the corner to me that like really snuck up like I like had there sit there and think about it. I was like, wait a minute. It's July. It's June 30th. So that means 4th of July is in like four days. I I just kind of like looked around. I was like, is this true? Can anybody confirm this for me? And sure enough, I think it's Monday. Is Is it Monday? Yeah. Monday is 4th of July. Holy shit. But speaking of 4th of July. And I understand that especially to my audience that I may begin to tread on some dangerous ground here. Y'all been if y'all have been listening to me for a while, you know I'm not really a dangerous ground kind of guy. I kind of just walk my way along the fence, lean left, lean right, but I rarely jump off the fence and go too far to, to to some other place. So but when it comes to Fourth of July, can we please just let some form of Slight chaos, unadulterated fun. Can we just let 4th of July go uncanceled? Like, despite some of the best efforts I've seen on social media. And I'm not saying this in a political way whatsoever. I'm not talking about anything political. It's it's, it's just not me. But it's like, I'm just so over watching Twitter collapse or at least a good portion of it collapse maybe the loudest portion because everybody's always loud about shit that they hate. I'm just so tired of watching that portion of Twitter just collapse under the weight of a few loud noises a few nights a year. What do we have 365 days a year and then there's people out there acting like let's just give it a week. Let's let's stretch it out a little bit. Like that week, 4th of July week, the three or four days before and the three or four days after. Whatever you want are just the most unbearable stretch of time ever. And it's just, I cannot roll my eyes harder at people that tweet this stuff. Like they're planting their flag and this is the fight that they want to fight. Was that a gunshot? My car alarm's going off. I have to work early. Can we just use drones with lights? My dog's losing his mind. Like every year. Now, I do have a lot of a little bit of sympathy for the dog thing because I have dogs. My brother has dogs. My parents have dogs. Everybody I know has dogs. Well, on 4th of July, my dogs are out there watching the fireworks with us. And they don't run away. They don't get all crazy. They just kind of chill with us and watch the fireworks. Now, maybe that's not the norm. And, and, and I don't want to act like I am just the absolute expert in all of the things inconveniences that 4th of July could possibly bring that's I I'm 100% positive there's things that I'm missing I get it you're grumpy you've gotten used to just getting rid of anything you complain about but like 4th of July like I've made some of the fondest memories in 4th of July it's another chance to get together friends and family and have a little dangerous fun maybe like Just maybe do something a little stupid, which it seems like everybody's willing to do all the time in other ways. Why not involve a little bit of combustion into the, into the equation? What's funny too, is most of the people I see complain about it because, you know, obviously the vast majority of people I follow are from California because of the 49ers. They're the loudest people complaining about it. And California has the shittiest fireworks. I've had a 4th of July in tennis. No, excuse me, Kentucky. I've had three 4th of July's in Texas. Um, There may have been one more in there somewhere else. And there are some way crazier fireworks going on outside of California, outside the little tubes that sit on your ladder and spray sparks up. Like California has some weak ass fireworks to be getting these kinds of complaints. I'm just, I'm just saying like, in these other states where the fire work rules aren't as stringent, which I get it, California has some huge wildfire risks. There is some crazy shit going out there, and it is a ton of fun, but it certainly pales or trumps whatever whatever we see here in California on Fourth of July. So it's it's always I always enjoy having that comparison, that context. In the back of my mind, knowing what 4th of July is like in other states, it gets crazy. And I've just always loved it. But I've always been just a small, little, tiny shred of an anarchist. Like a straight-A student that just loves doing stupid shit every now and then. I mean, guess what what kid doesn't? I grew up on three acres. Everything with a motor, we rode and crashed and hurt ourselves. So I guess that just kind of comes with my upbringing. But to me, like... When it comes to 4th of July and just really anything, not everything has to be perfectly safe. It doesn't, not, everything doesn't have to be perfectly safe all the time. It's a little dangerous fun. Not every trampoline needs a net, folks. If, I mean, if you've got a trampoline with a net, how are you going to nail a, a circular board to the top of your fence, AKA the top rope and do WWE moves off of it or the top of the roof, AKA top of the cage, that that's that was my trampoline upbringing before all of a sudden every one of them needed a net. I guess you just take it off, but I don't know i I'm going on too long about this y'all y'all probably get where I'm coming from, and I'm sure some of you disagree that's perfectly fine. I'm not like saying that this is the way it needs to be, but to me, it just blows my mind that there's so many loud people out there they're like Fourth of July is just it's just such a hard time of year, and I'm just looking at it like the hell am I reading? Am I the only one who thinks this is insane? Maybe I am. I apologize if if I offended you. But that's the way I feel, okay? All right. Roster breakdowns continues. Roster watch. Uh, Like panda watch. Anyways. And we are upon, I guess we're only one position in. We did quarterbacks last week, so it's not like we're deep into it, but where are my running backs? Huh. Where are my running backs? Huh. Guess that movie quote. Hit me up on Twitter. Where are my running backs? All right. So yeah, we're 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 on running backs. If you if you didn't pick up on that, and first right out the gate, when it comes to running backs in twenty twenty two slash twenty twenty three. We need to obviously establish that the 49ers are going to run the ball a lot, a lot, a lot. If you thought the 49ers ran the ball a lot with Jimmy Garoppolo, I'm going to presume the 49ers are going to run it even more with one Trey Lance. I need to learn Trey Lance's full name. I got to throw some middle names in there, just despite that dude that says that I said I said full names too often. What's Trey Lance's middle name? What's, does somebody have it? Does Wikipedia have? I'm looking at the top right now, right, right here. That's NFL pro. This guy, there's no way this side has his middle name. Nope. There's Trey Lance doesn't have a Wikipedia page. Oh wait, there it is. Trey Lance. It just says his normal. Nope. No middle names. Dang it. I want to learn Trey Lance's middle name. Mission to anybody willing to accept. Let's find Trey Lance's middle name. I'm sure I could have just Googled Trey Lance's middle name and probably found it, but I went through the typical channels. All right. So the 49ers offense under Trey Lance is obviously going to run the ball a lot. It's the easiest way to take off pressure off a new quarterback. But it, it, he Trey, Lance is in the first, the perfect place to be supported by an offense like that. Last year, with all sorts of running backs, the 49ers were top 10 in carries. Top 10 in total yards, top 10 in rushing touchdowns, top 10 in 20-plus yard runs, and the top 10 in the number of first-down rushings. Now, if you're top 10 in carries, those other things typically will probably follow suit because you've got the volume to create a lot of that stuff, but the 49ers are committed to running the football, and I don't expect that to change at all with Trey Lance. The 49ers, do you know the 49ers have had a different rushing leader five years in a row? That is wild to me, and it makes perfect sense when you think about everything since Kyle Shanahan's been here, but it's just like, can the 49ers just, like, get a guy that'll just, like, repeat that shit over and over? Can the 49ers just find another Frank Gore or something? Like, can't be that hard. Shout out to Frank Gore. 49ers Hall of Fame. Let's go. 2017, Carlos Hyde. 2018, Matt Breida. 2019, Raheem Mostert. Shout out to Raheem. I miss you, bro. 2020, Jeff Wilson Jr. 2021, Elijah Mitchell. Like, dude, they just run through running backs like it's the thing to do. And and, and I get it. Kyle Shanahan is, is Kyle Shanahan, and he can take – he could probably make me a top 10 rusher. I'm kidding. But – he does it with consistently with different running backs all the time. It would be nice for them to just get a guy. Maybe, maybe they'll have that this season. Maybe Elijah Mitchell will lead the team in rushing two years in a row for the first time since Kyle Shanahan's been here. We'll see. But I think it's just wild that they've just churn. I mean, I'm not, I'm saying they're leading the team in rushing. Like it's not like they're leading the league or top 10 in rushing per se. They may be, I'd have to look up where they, where they fit in, but Just the fact that the 49ers haven't consistently had a guy all this time despite the admiration and popularity of Kyle Shanahan's rushing offense. It's just kind of wild to me. You'd think you'd have some dude that was you know, getting out of his rookie contract and just was like, 49ers, sign me up, man. I'll be your leading rusher for the next four years. That hasn't happened, so I don't know. I don't know if it's going to happen, when it's going to happen. To me... The 49ers running back room is just right now in its current configuration. Based off what we've seen from these players, it's like a little bit of an odd duck. Like it's it's not that the room is bad. It's not that there's not experience. It's not that there are the, the you know there aren't proven guys within the room. It just seems weird, and maybe it's because it's unpredictable. I don't really know how it's going to shake out. I don't really know how certain players are going to look. It just seems odd. We know that this group is going to be put in a position to succeed. We've already talked about that, about how the 49ers commit to the run, how that they're likely going to commit to it even more now that Trey Lance is here. Yet still, it's just kind of like, eh, it's not that I don't have faith in these guys. I just don't know what to expect. I don't know who's going to get the most carries. I don't know who's going to be able to really seize the role of the guy. Is Anybody, or are they going to have three guys? Are they going to have two guys. It's just a little, just, I don't know. Am I the only one that feels that way? It just seems it's different. It's like with the offensive line that has some serious question marks where you really hope some guy, some of these guys are going to work out. Otherwise the 49 is going to be in trouble. We'll talk about that probably next episode. But with the running backs, it's not like I'm necessarily, I don't necessarily feel like the 49ers are in trouble. I feel like they're going to be, be able to effectively run the ball with the guys they've got in the room. I just have no idea what's coming from this group. Obviously, out in front, you've got Elijah Mitchell. He was a 2021 six-round pick. Figures, you know, like figures the 49ers leading rusher in – 2021 was a six-round pick. Especially when you go back and you look at those leading rushers, Matt Breida undrafted, Raheem Mostert, I believe, was undrafted, and obviously spent some time in the league as a, as a standout special teams player. Jeff Wilson Jr. undrafted, right? It's it's hard to keep up with these guys. Elijah Mitchell, six. Like it's they just have so many. You know, just they could. It's just wild how they just churn out these guys. They're literally leading the charge of like you don't need to run draft a running back early. Yet the 49ers in the last two drafts have drafted a running back in the third round. So they're like arguing with themselves. Yes, Jeff Wilson Jr. was undrafted. So it's just, it's 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 just a weird group. It's a weird dynamic. I don't even know if we figured out what Kyle Shanahan values in a running back because they all seem to be a little different maybe that's what he values a little bit of, of versatility but elijah Mitchell, 2021 6th round pick with which is like i just said it's why i struggle with the idea that the 49ers need to or have drafted running backs early like we'll we'll get to that we'll get to that i'll make sure i come back to this point cuz i don't want to necessarily talk about it well My next thought was, look, if you're going to draft a running back early, like let's say the third round versus an undrafted free agent, which the 49ers have proven very capable of finding, you'd think you'd be getting the same type of running back you would have gotten as an undrafted free agent just on steroids. All the traits, I don't mean literally on steroids. All the traits that you liked about this undrafted free agent, but presumably because you're drafting them in the third round, all of those traits are heightened, maxed out. Like the, the back of your X-Men cards with the best mutants, all their, their stats were really high. You know, some guys are fives and sixes. You know, undrafted free agent running back, their traits are fives and sixes. A third round picks, their traits are seven, eights and nines. You know, I, it's, you'd think you'd be getting what you wanted, just a better version of it, like anything you know, cars, you spend more money just to get a better, nicer car. But the 49ers have kind of contradicted that in their own way. Their, their draft choice running backs have just been okay. I mean, it's kind of a short list under Kyle Shanahan of running backs drafted earlier on. We don't need to talk about Joe Williams, but it's, They've just seemed like they've been money at these late round undrafted guys. And so you're just wondering, okay, so if they're going to draft a guy, then he's just going to be a better version of these undrafted guys, right? And the 49ers are going to finally have a guy? Well, kind of hasn't worked out like that. Doesn't mean that it won't because we've got some some young players that were highly drafted coming up down the depth chart. So maybe one of them will seize their moment. Man, I love the movie Coco. I think that might be my absolute favorite Disney movie. Is that wild? Coco? I just think it's phenomenal. Everybody, obviously everybody knows about the ending, but anyways, phenomenal movie. And phenomenal music. Let's go. So, the 49ers have almost been a contradiction to themselves, drafting running backs early, but then the later drafted ones or undrafted ones have seemed to be the most successful. And you've got a six-rounder in Elijah Mitchell. That seems to be the best running back in the building right now. Doesn't mean he won't go unchallenged. Doesn't mean somebody can't take a spot. That can for sure happen. But you had Elijah Mitchell come in. He played in 11 games. He started 10 of them. So when he was out there, he was the man. 5'10", 200 pounds. He rushed 207 times last season for just shy of 1,000 yards, 963, five touchdowns. That's an average of 4.7 yards per carry. That is very respectable. He also had 19 catches for 137 yards and a touchdown. So in terms of scrimmage yards, he was well over 1,000. In fact, he was exactly 1,100. It's a great number. So Elijah Mitchell, when he was out there, he looked like the man. He looked good. And everybody considered him the man. Now. Is he going to be able to maintain that hold? History says no. The 49ers have had five leading rushers in five years. So is Elijah Mitchell going to be the first one of that crew to lead the 49ers in rushing yards in consecutive years? We'll see. I I think he's very capable. But they're still just, even with their best guy, their top guy, you just don't quite know what to expect, right? I don't think that's unfair of me to say that, and I'm certainly not saying Elijah Mitchell – isn't capable of, of just being the damn, doing the damn thing. But I just, I don't know, you know, he averaged just under 19 carries a game, which is pretty high for the 49ers. That's, that's what I mean. He was, he's the guy, you know, at at the very least, Elijah Mitchell was almost running it 20 times a game. He went over 20 carries. I, I believe it. I was looking at the game logs. I believe it was five times. Which, you know, again, plenty of of evidence that if Elijah Mitchell's on the field, he's getting the rock. Is somebody going to challenge him for that? We'll see. And the thing that may open that window up for someone else to really eat into his carries and try to take his job is his injury history. Just in last year, Elijah Mitchell has listed five different injuries. He suffered that shoulder injury earlier on in the season, missed two games. He had a uh, a rib sprain or a pull, uh, kind of unspecified. I don't believe he missed time due to that. He fractured his finger, missed a game. He uh, He had a concussion against Seattle. I believe that was a dirty hit too, if I'm not mistaken. If I'm thinking of the right hit, I believe it was pretty dirty. And then he missed three games after spraying his patella tendon in his knee. So that's a lot of injuries for one season. Now, for some reason, and I don't know what it is, and I'm sure there are smarter people than me out there that could tell us why 49ers running backs get hurt so often. One, running backs in and of themselves get hurt often. It's a very brutal position. We know that. You don't need me to tell you that. But it does seem like run 49ers, the 49ers churn through running backs on their def chart, chart, def chart pretty damn quick. It seems like a lot of the 49ers running backs are constantly getting hurt, and that may be the 49ers' insistence on constantly bringing in new running backs. Now, if you're going to go ahead and draft a running back in the third round, I think it's fair to put the heat on the 49ers that – That guy shouldn't be somebody that needs to be spelled a lot. That's why you're drafting him that early. You would think. But, again, it's Kyle Shanahan's offense. Running backs are getting hurt very often here. So, I guess the more the merrier. But, it's just, are injuries going to be Elijah Mitchell's biggest concern? Because they sure as hell were last season. They were the only thing holding him back from a, I don't know. Let's say that he just continued on his pace. He averaged 87 yards a game. So he added in another six games, seven games in the regular season. I mean, that's another 500 yards. I'm horrible at math, but I know it's right in the 500 yard mark. He's into the 14 to 1500 yard range. That is bona fide Like fantasy running back one, First round draft pick, the man type running back numbers. You'd have additional touchdowns as well, but again, how often does a running back running back um, pay sixteen games play? Man, I'm all over the place. It's been a long day. I just wrapped up a football practice outside in 105 degree heat, where I'm constantly yelling and talking. So please spare me. But so he he has the productivity of a running back. One are the injuries his biggest inhibitor. That's what I want to know. Or is he going to just do it again? And maybe he actually puts up better numbers this year because rather than having 18.8 carries a game, he knocks that down to 14 or 13, but is able to do that throughout the entirety of the season. So just adding in those extra games, and that's not even talking about playoffs. He could really still be just as productive, if not more productive, if he has a solid number two to start spelling him in the offense. And that's why I've got in my notes, he's a talented running back. We've seen that. He's impressive. But I feel like he needs a number two. If the 49ers are going to run it 13 times a game, Elijah Mitchell should have 15 to 16. The next guy behind him should have eight to 10 and then the next guy behind him should have four to five whatever that adds up to because we all know that like that 30 rush mark is like the sweet spot for the 49ers but he needs a he needs a number two he needs somebody with him he needs a a Tevin Coleman to his Devonta Freeman if you will who's going to claim that role If we are going to, I think it's fair. If you were to tell me that Elijah Mitchell is the guy and we can consider him the man for unless somebody else shows something else in training camp or knock on wood, he gets hurt. So I'm perfectly willing to consider Elijah Mitchell the unquestioned number one. And when you're going to talk about who's going to claim the role behind him, start running down the list. In terms of uh, what I expect the depth chart to be, Next, we've got Ty Davis Price. He's a third-round rookie, big boy, six foot, two hundred eleven pounds. Ran a four-four-eight at the combine. He's he's stout. He's quick, real quick for a guy his size, and you can see it in the tape. That combination of size and speed, it hurts. You know, it, he can he can lower the shoulder and lay the wood. Didn't necessarily seem like he was that great at at absorbing contact. Breaking tackles, not going down at the first guy, type of deal. But if a six foot, two hundred and fifteen pound dude is running at you at four, four, eight speed, you're gonna to want to get the hell out of the way. And I think that's what the 49ers are hoping to add to their rushing attack with Elijah Mitchell. Now, Elijah Mitchell's not small either. He's 5'10", 200 pounds, but he's also very quick. The 49ers want to be able to wear a defense down. And Ty Davis-Price seems like a wear-you-down type of guy. He almost seemed to thrive on late-game carries at LSU. He's a big, quick running back, and, and again, he, he looks like he might be that complement to Elijah Mitchell. We're hoping that it works out like that, but it doesn't always, you know. He was at LSU as the season went on. He improved. He got better, he got more patient, and he just started taking over games. At a time when most players start to do the opposite, you know, as the season goes on, injuries start to wear on you. And, you know, it's it's the same as a game. As the game goes on, you get less and less effective. Well, Ty Davis-Price seems to almost be the opposite, which if you're really trying to spell Elijah Mitchell and he's pounding the rock and then all of a sudden you bring in a Ty Davis-Price who loves to wear you down, that could really drive a defense crazy. That could really just send them send them running. That could really push the 49ers over the hill. In his junior season at LSU, Ty Davis-Price had 211 carries for 1,000 yards and six touchdowns. He averaged 4.8 yards per carry. Very respectable. Very respectable. Only caught 10 passes for 64 yards, so that wasn't a huge part of his game. Not that Kyle Shanahan's not going to take him and make that a part of his game. I would think that any running back that makes it to the NFL can develop the ability to catch passes. All you need is a decent coach to work on your routes and work on your hands. Some running backs have very natural hands. They just don't use them. It's not not in the offense. Some running backs just look like they are completely foreign to catching the football. And those are the hard ones. You at least want to see kind of a natural pass-catching ability. They look comfortable putting their hands out in front of them and letting the football work its way into the diamond. Just, you know, normal pass-catching stuff. You never really know what you're going to get with a running back, but I certainly believe it's coachable. seeing that a running back wasn't used a lot in the past game and just assuming that he can't be or he won't be. That's just not always the case. Not every offense places a lot of emphasis on that, especially in offense with good receivers where rather than throwing to a running back, let's just throw it to our dominant receivers. You know, LSU had some pretty damn good receivers. So it's, it's, it's tough to know what to expect from Ty Davis Price. This is when things start to get a little confusing. A little Not confusing, just there's a lot of question marks, X factors. I don't know what's coming. We'll see what we're going to get. Can he earn that role as Elijah Mitchell's number two? At the very least, I see him kind of being the 49ers go-to in short yardage, goal line situations. Ty Davis Price seems like a running back you'd want in that type of moment. But at the same time, like we said, he, he seems like a volume carry guy. You know, let me jump over to his game logs right here so I can see the number of carries. I mean, tw- starting at about mid-season, he was pretty light the first half of the season, 13, 8, 6, 13, 5. You know, I don't know who else was in that backfield, but obviously they were content with going with somebody else. And then whether it was injury or opportunity or... Uh, a switch flip, but then you've got starting in week six, 22 carries, 36 carries, 17 carries, 23 carries, 28, 21, 19. I mean, he just started taking over 36 carries for 287 yards. Ugh. Man, that's dirty. So if he can improve and come into his own as time goes on, as the season goes on, as games goes on, that's a pretty valuable asset. We'll see if that's what the 49ers are planning on doing. Now, right behind Ty Davis-Price is another third-round running back just from the year prior in Trey Sermon. And I just – Trey Sermon is if, – if it starts to get weird with Ty Davis-Price, then it, it gets weird, real weird with Trey Sermon. Because when I watched Trey Sermon's film before his rookie season of him at Ohio State, excuse me, the Ohio State. I believe they trademarked that. My apologies, Biederman over there in uh, the Chronicles. He just seemed like he would break at least three or four tackles every snap before going down. He he seemed like just so stubborn. I couldn't really get a gauge on his patience or, you know, his, his vision, but he just hit the hole, and he would never go down on first contact. And it just didn't seem like any of that translated. Now, we certainly haven't had a big enough sample size when it comes to Trey Sermon. He was okay last year. I'm not going to say that. I don't know why it's on his game logs. Let me get to his, his stats. It certainly seemed like when he was given the chance, he just struggled to ever put anything out there that was ultimately impressive. He ended up only having 41 carries on the year. Injuries had a huge were a huge reason for that. For a 41 carries for 167 yards, it's a little over 4 yards a carry. It's not horrible. And then he had one touchdown. So I just, it's just another massive question mark. I'm not going to say that Trey Sermon can't do the damn thing, but nothing I saw for him last season, whether it comes to what he looked like when he was given the ball or his ability to stay healthy, nothing I've seen would just give me any reason to have any confidence in that. Adding a little bit of weirdness to the 49ers, drafting him in the third round. And just like Elijah Mitchell, but obviously, completely different performance on the field. But Trey Sermon's got some injury issues too. Shoulder, he suffered a shoulder injury in the national championship game against Alabama. He had an ankle strain in August during the preseason. Then he had a concussion against that game, uh, against the Eagles, which was, I believe, a different dirty hit, if I don't, if I'm not mistaken. It was like... He, had, he almost had his arms pinned and he went down onto his head. But if the play seemed to have gone down in a weird way. I was at that game. And then later he gets hurt on like special teams duty and then doesn't play for the rest of the season. I believe that was week 11. Could have been week 12. Yeah, week 12, he got hurt and never came back in. Never played for the rest of the season. So it's just so hard to know what to expect from Trey Sermon. He wasn't bad, but he just wasn't remarkable at all. He got his chance earlier on the season when Elijah Mitchell got hurt. 10 carries in week three against the Packers and 19 carries in week four against Seattle. His week Seattle game was a little, his week four game against Seattle was a little better. He only averaged 3.1 yards a carry against Green Bay. But then he averaged 4.6 yards per carry on 19 carries for uh, 89 yards against Seattle. So, decent. And then the next time he came back out and got 10 carries, he averaged just a little over three yards a carry again. So, I don't want to bash Trey Sermon. He hasn't done anything to deserve bashing. He's just, when he's been on the field, he hasn't been impressive. But we've just seen so little of that are we going to continue to see so little of Trey Sermon or is he actually going to take this as an opportunity to compete with Ty Davis price, a fellow third rounder and establish himself as the guy next to Elijah Mitchell. I don't, the odds of that happening seem slimmer than that of Ty Davis price, but It definitely could happen. The 49ers have to have seen something they really liked in him to draft him in the third round. Same thing thing with Davis Price. So hopefully what the 49ers saw in Trey Sermon can emerge throughout the offseason. We'll hear about it quick. Again, that depth chart behind Elijah Mitchell is just a little up in the air. So we should expect to hear what Trey Sermon is doing in training camp relatively quickly relatively quickly. I'm assuming he's going to make the roster. But if I had to place him, I'd say he's at best the third option. At best the third option, which what we what do we say earlier only will likely only merit him four or five carries a game. That would not be considered a an encouraging development for a third round a, a second year third round pick. It's going to be interesting watching watching those two players compete, Trey Sermon and Ty Davis-Price. And then behind those two, you've got Jeff Wilson, Jr. He re-signed with the 49ers this offseason for a one-year deal. Like we said, I believe it was 2020 he led the team in rushing yards. Just making sure I got the right one. Yep, Jeff Wilson, Jr. One of the best touchdown, best run slash touchdown celebrations. I've seen it a long time. That year against the Cardinals, catching that like Texas route where he ran out of the backfield, got past the D-line, made a sharp right turn right to where the linebackers used to be, caught that no-look pass from Jimmy Garoppolo and just beelined it like 30 yards straight into the end zone and just starts flailing his arms all over the place. And I loved it because it was just unrestricted excitement. Like, he was just, what I I think one of the things I tweeted about was, just imagine if someone tried to tackle Jeff Wilson Jr. on this play. It would not have worked out for them. He was on a one-way mission to that end zone, and he was moving. Now, since then, he suffered a, a, a big-time injury. I believe it was a torn meniscus. And he did it standing, or it could have been a torn patella, let me make sure I've got that right. It's tough, to, it's tough to keep track of these things after a while. So, either way, significant injury. Misses the vast majority of the season. Yeah, a meniscus tear. Okay, just making sure I got that right. I ain't trying to... And And injuries have been a big part of his career since that meniscus tear... He also had uh, another knee strain. No, excuse me. The knee strain was no. Yeah. He's had another knee strain. And then this in 2022, he's had an ankle sprain. And then he had some stuff in 19 and 20 leg calf strain, pedal ankle, another high sprain. You know, that one caused him to uh place on IR and miss three games. So, Again, you've got another 49ers running back that's shown that he can do the thing, that struggled with injuries, and it's just tough. I mean, maybe all of these running backs combined can create one super running back, and they all share duties, but they're all good. None of them get hurt. That's probably what the 49ers are hoping for, with Elijah Mitchell is emerging as kind of the clear guy from that group. But, you know, in 2020, Jeff Wilson Jr. looked great. It was hella fun to watch. 126 carries for 600 yards, 4.8 yards a carry, and then he added 13 catches for 133 yards, three touchdowns in the air, and seven on the ground. He was a missile. He was fun to watch run the ball. He was fast, and he was violent. Jeff Wilson Jr. has been one of my favorite running backs to watch over the last few years. Again, Just cut short due to injury, which seems to be a thing in this offense. His roster spot is far from guaranteed. That's one of the craziest things about this. I could see Jeff Wilson Jr. earning the number two role as like a veteran behind Elijah Mitchell. I could also see him not making the roster. Now, him earning that number two role would certainly be a slight against the two 49ers running backs that have been picked in the third round. But Kyle Shanahan has never shied away from shunning his draft picks in favor of somebody who's just going to work and somebody who's proven that they're going to do what they need to do in the games. Again, like these other running backs, I just have no idea what Jeff Wilson Jr. is going to look like. You know, it's another year removed from that season-ending injury or, you know, essentially a season-ending injury. He was just kind of fortunate that it happened during the off season that allowed him to return during the season. We'll see what he looks like. He's got a roster spot to compete for and a one-year deal isn't necessarily a ringing endorsement, but it's certainly an opportunity for him to prove that he's back to that form that he was in 2020 when he led the team in rushing and he's capable of, of being the guy along with Mitchell. He certainly could. He's got the ability and he runs with a fire that would certainly make him a short yardage running back and a goal line option. So there's still definitely some opportunity there for Jeff Wilson Jr. We'll see. We'll see. And after Jeff Wilson Jr., you've got Jamichael Hasty, who's been with the team for a little bit. He kind of last season, you know, that was the end of his second year. He kind of developed into like a third down running back option. You know, he was targeted 29 times in the past game and caught 23 of them for 157 yards. So it's, you know, he's he was he wasn't irrelevant last season, but going into this, into this year, it seems like the 49ers are looking to get better than Hasty. Smaller, quick guy, 5'8, 205 pounds. You know, averaged 4.3 yards of carry last year. So when he was given a chance, he wasn't necessarily bad. But it just seems like if if you're starting to get into running backs that are likely going to be phased out, Hasty seems like that first one where his chance to make the roster is a long shot. He's certainly competing for a spot, but it just looks like the 49ers want their depth at running back to be a little bit better than Hasty. And then finally, rounding out the group is undrafted free agent Jordan Mason out of Georgia Tech. Another big dude, 6'1, 210 pounds. That's big for a running back, man. Coming downhill. Now he I'd have to see who was also in that offense. He's never had necessarily massive numbers. He's had he had some good seasons at Georgia Tech, Georgia Tech. As a sophomore, he had 172 carries for 899 yards. yards a carry and seven touchdowns. That's nice. That's nice. Now, going all the way to his junior year, I believe he got to – it says he did two junior years, but he only played in six games in his first junior year, so there had to have been some eligibility thing there. He had 87 carries for 439 yards and five touchdowns. Throughout his career at Georgia Tech, 449 carries. 2,349 yards at 5.2 yards a lick and 17 touchdowns. Not bad. Added 26 catches for almost 200 yards and a touchdown. So long shot to make the roster. Seems like a great practice squad candidate if they like what they see. But as we've seen in the past, earning a roster spot certainly isn't outside the realm of possibilities for Jordan Mason. He's just going to have to really show that he deserves that third or fourth spot. Because what you don't want to forget is, and I'm going to have to, you know, no. Kyle Juszczyk. I was, you know, I guess I could include him with tight ends, but he should definitely be included with running backs, right? I should have started with Kyle Juszczyk. The fact that I am throwing Kyle Juszczyk into the back of this podcast right before the exit is an insult to Juice. And Juice, if you're listening to Strike and Gold, which I know you do, I apologize. The best fullback in the league deserves more. But Juice is a guy. Juice is a dude. I've never for one second questioned the 49ers' money that they spent on Kyle Juszczyk he is just he's the personality you want in the locker room he's the leader you want in the locker room he is so versatile on the field he's capable of being like a tight end three he's capable of being another running back he blocks his ass off as a fullback and there's a reason he's been in the league for what is he coming up on nine years as a fullback I just don't think Kyle Yushek gets enough respect. And of course, putting him at the end of this podcast doesn't doesn't help my cause. But the dude is just constantly finding ways to be involved in plays and be a huge reason they work. I just could not, I cannot say enough good things about Kyle Yushek. I'm so glad he's on the team. Getting to cover him is awesome. Getting to interview him in the lo- interview him in the locker room is awesome. He's always up for it, win or loss, and he just is part of what I feel are like the essential cogs to making this team work. He's really high up there for me. Probably a little higher than he should be, or than he actually is. But Kyle Yushek is a man. Is the man. And I wouldn't list that many 49ers in terms of players that I would like rank on this team. There wouldn't be that many of them before I got to Kyle Juszczyk. So not a lot of competition there. (laughs) You know, it's there's not necessarily any competition for his spot. They're not gonna keep two fullbacks. You know, that's just the way it is. You've got Josh Hoket that's there. Somebody that, you know, maybe out of Fresno State, go dogs, somebody that they may be grooming to in the future replace Kyle Ushek. I don't think that he is a he's not like somebody that's gonna put push Kyle Ushek for the job. But they're both on the roster. Hoket seems like a solid practice squad player. Seems like somebody you'd want on the practice squad. If Kyle Juszczyk gets hurt, heaven forbid, he's somebody that could be elevated and step in. Josh Hogan is a freak athlete. He was an insanely good wrestler, I believe, at Fresno State. And then he was a great running back on the field. So he's one of those natural freak athletes. I could see him being somebody that if they keep him on the team long enough, could step in and replace Kyle Juszczyk if if, in anytime soon he decides to call it a career. Josh Hokett, it wouldn't surprise me if he was capable of doing that. But again, that's Kyle Juszczyk's position. <laughs> there ain't no question there. Just making sure that I've said my deuce for Kyle Juszczyk because that guy is just truly, I believe, one of the pivotal elements of Kyle Shanahan's locker room. But hey, that's it. Fifty minutes on running backs. Now I know I understand. I added a little bit in the beginning about doctor disrespect and Fourth of July and stuff like that. But hey, that's a sol- that's a solid run through of that running back position. I feel like we got our due overall. I, I it's a solid group. I'm just not sure what to expect. Do I think they'll be good? Yes. I just don't know who's going to be good. Outside of Elijah Mitchell, we'll see who takes that, you know, that brass ring and runs with it. Anyways, appreciate y'all. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Striking Gold. One more shout out to Kyle Yuschek. And just make sure you're out there spreading the word, Striking Gold. Listen to it. Tell your friends to listen to it. Tell your friends to subscribe to it. Tell your friends to download it. Come on, let's go. We are, we are. It, it is about to be July. That's training camp month. We're almost there. And again, like I said last episode, when training camp starts, to me, that's like the beginning of the season. Like it's not technically, but that's when shit gets interesting. So hey, again, appreciate y'all. Thank you for listening to Strike and Gold. I can't ever say thank you enough. But for an episode, we, we got to call. It. We got to get out of here eventually. I hope you all enjoy your Fourth of July. I hope you make loud noises. I hope you risk your fingers. Don't go too far. Keep them all. I want everybody back here next week on Striking Gold with 10 fingers, with 10 toes. Don't do nothing that stupid, but have a little dangerous fun. Go enjoy the holiday. Be a ridiculous American. I appreciate you. But for another episode, this is Striking Gold. I'm Rob, and we are signing out.